This is True Combo, your deep dive video game podcast. I'm your host, Marcus Driscoll, and joining me today is Smash 4 top 40 player and rising Smash Ultimate Dr. Mario main, Locus. Mason, welcome to the show. Hey, how's it going? I'm doing really well. Uh, I'm so excited that, you, uh, that you're on today. Yeah, I'm excited too. This is going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, so usually what we start doing is uh, we just talk about what we've been playing recently. So what have you been getting into? Um, so... Most of the most of my time lately has been spent playing just Smash, sure. but um, <laughs> uh, but my time besides that, I've been playing a lot of um, I've been playing a lot of Dota Two Auto Chess, which is just a a game mode for Dota Two. I've never actually played like actual Dota Two, okay. Um, but there's like a game mod for it, um, for Auto Chess that's that kind of took off, um, I think a couple months ago, and it's absolutely fantastic. I put I put way too many hours into into auto chess since i started playing it so what, what is auto chess because like i've seen i've seen people talk about it but i've never like looked into it um it feels almost like a like almost like a tower defense sort of game okay um you have like a chessboard, and you put um you put pieces on the chessboard, which are like dota heroes and then your board fights against another player's board and there's eight people in the same game so you just set up your board, basically, is all you get to do, and then it'll fight against the other people's boards, and depending on how you do, you stay in the game for longer, uh, you get more money to buy more pieces. Um, oh, okay, okay. Yeah, it's it's really cool. It's it's something that I haven't really seen done before, so it was something that um, kind of caught my eye, but it was something that really pulled me in. It's like very, very simple, um, very simple design with like a really deep... Like kind of like real chess, it's very easy to understand, very difficult to master. That's really interesting to me because like Dota started as like a mod for another game. Yeah, exactly. And so then yeah. like seeing like auto chess take off, that's that's crazy. Yeah, so like I I actually played back when um back when Dota was a mod for Warcraft three. I I was playing Warcraft three at the time, and I wasn't actually playing Dota as one of the mods, but I was playing all the other mods. Um, so it was pretty natural just to to move to auto chess because it felt like one of those old um old warcraft 3 mods that's so cool i love like whenever things like that happen and it's just kind of like building upon like its own history you know yeah so i've been playing a lot of risk of rain too um i talked about this last episode uh but back then i didn't put that many hours in it but now i have like over 30 (laughs) just and like i haven't had like a lot of time but the time that i've been home and i've had some free time i've just been playing so much risk of rain too and it's weird because i'm not really one for roguelikes typically but this one is just so addicting and it has that kind of um I feel like a lot of roguelikes, they get death wrong in that uh, once you die, then it's like hard to like get back into it. You know what I mean? Yeah. But uh, with Risk of Rain 2, it's like, oh, runs over, time for another one. And it can go for like 15 minutes to like an hour and a half, and it's a blast either way. Yeah, I've been playing a little bit of it as well. Um, I loved the first one. I I played a ton of it with my friends, and I had heard that they were making a second one and that they were moving it into 3D, and I was like... I don't know how this is going to be. Like, I, I felt very strange about them transitioning it from 2D to 3D. Right. Uh, and I was like, I, I can't imagine it having the same feel. But even, like, right from launching it, like, the, the title screen and the music and everything, just, like, it really has the same feel. Like, I, I'm very, very impressed with it. Right. I, I, I never got the chance to play the first one, uh, but I have a lot of friends who I played the second one with who did play the first one. 
And that's all they talk about is just like, wow, this is such a big improvement, and it's so weird playing this game in 3D. Um, and I think it's really interesting that like we don't really often see sequels kind of make that jump from like 2D to 3D or whatever. And it's just it's really cool to see like how popular Risk of Rain 2 has become, um, even though it made that like big transition, and like it's been able to keep that similar vibe. Yeah, like that's a pretty big jump to make for a game, like a, a pretty small game. Like Risk of Rain wasn't anything like crazy huge or anything. Right. Um, and that's a pretty like courageous move to completely switch from 2D to 3D and try and keep the same style. But they, yeah, they did fantastic. Yeah. Another game I've been playing, I've been crazy busy uh, th- this past week. And so like I haven't got a lot of time to sit down and play. And so I've been playing some mobile games. Uh, I'm not the biggest mobile game guy. Uh, but I've just kind of been in a lot of situ- situations recently where it's like, hurry up and wait, where like I have to be somewhere, but I don't have anything to do. <laughs> yeah. um, and so I've been playing Game Dev Tycoon on my phone. And I'm not a big tycoon guy either, <laughs> but I spent $5 on this game. And holy shit, is it addicting? I don't know. It's it's, it's just like what it sounds like. You just um, you kind of start off as like an indie game dev and then you really it's just you typing names of games into your phone and then like saying like, oh, this is going to be a shooter, or this is going to be this, or this is going to be that. And then whenever you get, like, enough money, you can build your own engine, and then you can add in, like, 3D graphics and, like, stereo sound. And it, it's really cool, um, just, I don't know. And it's really satisfying in the way that, like, you can see, like, your revenue grow, and, like, you can buy, like, a new office and everything. It's a, if you like The Sims, it's a, it's, it's a little similar to that. Yeah, that's really cool. Uh, I remember playing... Um... I remember playing Lemonade Stand Tycoon. That was one of my favorite games when I was younger. <laughs> uh, I played so much of that game. And then Roller Coaster Tycoon. Those two oh, yeah. were the ones that, the two tycoon games that I played a ton of right. when I was younger. And I remember really enjoying them, but I haven't played another one since, I don't think. I feel you. Yeah, it's very rare that I find a t- tycoon game that I'm really into. Um, but Roller Coaster Tycoon, King of Tycoon Games, and Game Dev Tycoon, that one's really fun. So let's get into the news. We have a few few little segments uh, for this one. Uh, first, I want I want to talk about the Sega Genesis Mini. Sega announced this uh, at the beginning of April. Apparently, it's going to come with 40 games uh, preloaded on there. <clears throat> Not all the games have been announced yet, uh, but some of the heavy hitters that they did announce were Sonic, Echo the Dolphin, Castlevania Bloodlines, Space Harrier 2, Shining Force, which is a great underrated game, Dr. Robotnik's Mean Bean Machine, Toe Jam & Earl, Comic Zone, Altered Beast, and Gunstar Heroes. I'm looking forward to it, honestly. I... Uh, was not one of the lucky few to get uh, the uh, Classic NES or the SNES, uh, SNES Classic, but I really hope that I can pick up the Sega Genesis Mini. Yeah, this would be something that'd be really cool for me because I've I've heard a lot about a lot of these games, but I've played like maybe one of them, and that's just the original Sonic, right? Uh, which is which makes this feel really appealing to me. Um, some of the like some of the classic consoles I had like played a lot of the games on, so it would be mostly just kind of like for novelty, like have, having it. Right. But this would be an investment that would be like, okay, now I can actually finally play all of these games that I haven't yeah. had a chance to. Yeah, and I, I, whenever I was super young, uh, my parents had a copy of, it was kind of like Sega All-Stars, um, <laughs> but uh, I would put in the disc for the computer uh, back whenever PCs had optical drives um, and load it up, and I would play Shining Force and Comic Zone and Sonic. Um, and I've the name of Shining Force eluded me for so long, and I just recently d- rediscovered it. Um, and I love that game. I, I typically uh, don't enjoy turn-based games, but Shining Force 
I, it's the nostalgia glasses are so thick. <laughs> like I just I um, remember playing that game. It's so good. What kind of what kind of turn-based game is it? Like what would you compare it to? Um, it's definitely like a turn-based RPG. Um, so similar to kind of like a Fire Emblem or something. Yeah, probably like a Fire Emblem or like an early Final Fantasy. Um, gotcha. Because it's it's kind of like those older like Game Boys like Game Boy Advance style graphics. Um, mm-hmm. But it's really fun, and I and I am really interested in picking it up for the Sega Genesis Mini. Yeah, that's one of the names on here that I don't recognize as much, but the only things I've heard about it have been like very positive. Right. Yeah, it's a great game. Another piece of news that came out is that Borderlands 3 is going to be an Epic Store exclusive, uh, and that has come to a lot of mixed reviews from people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, really, really interesting. I, I'm i of the, like, opinion that competition is, like, always, always leads to, like, a better experience for consumers. Sure. So I'm glad that Steam kind of has people pushing on them a little bit now, especially with something as big as Borderlands 3. Right. Um, but I understand that it's also a little bit less convenient for consumers as well, having to like now have, if they want to play Borderlands three, they need to have the Epic launcher and then they probably have the other Borderlands on steam and right. And all I, of that, I, I definitely feel you. I think that it's, I'm in a similar boat where it's kind of one of those things that we have to kind of grin and bear it where Epic is getting these AAA games and making them exclusive so that people have to play them on Epic. And so hopefully steam will like kind of lower their, cuts that they take from uh, developers who sell their games on steam but also like you were saying at the same time i hate using the epic launcher <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> it's just so bad like i i like to tell the story anytime i talk about the epic launcher but like whenever i first installed it it was like oh okay cool um where do you want to like install this and i was like oh okay put it on my e-drive and then it was like okay cool it's all installed where do you want to put fortnite and it's like i i don't want to install fortnite i don't want that <laughs> <laughs> But it was like the very first thing after it was finished installing was like, where do you want to put this? Because I know you're downloading this to play Fortnite. Yeah, no, I've heard like I've never actually had any issues with Steam, but I just I always have like a little bit of like an irrational fear that like if Steam was the only thing I know there's other things like Origin and um, there's a couple of other ones, too, that I'm that are yeah. escaping me right now. But like GOG, if, yeah, yeah, yeah. If Steam were to be the only one, though, I feel like we'd have a lot more issues. And yeah, as a consumer, I've never had issues with Steam, but I've heard that on the developer side, it's a little bit rough. Right, yeah, I definitely feel that. Steam is kind of like a blessing and a curse to in that department because like with Steam's like Greenlight program, it's super easy for an indie developer, just like a team of one person to kind of get their game out there. But also at the same time for like these like bigger studios, Steam's taking like 30% or uh, something like that of their revenue of, of all the copies sold on Steam. And so that's like a big chunk. But at the same time, like these developers really don't have anywhere else to sell their game. And now Epic is like, oh, you can sell them here and you can keep over half the money that Steam would be taking from you. Yeah, exactly. It's definitely definitely a smart move by Epic and hopefully we'll push a little bit harder on Steam too. I hope so, man, because I'm tired of these ex- exclusive deals. <laughs> <laughs> so now that we kind of got news out of the way, I have a few questions for you. This is a special episode for um, True Combo just because... Um, you're the first like esports player that we've had on. I want to just let people get to know you. So when did Smash start for you? Um, so Smash itself started when I was when I was very young. I think I got uh, Melee for the GameCube when I was like I want to say like five or six years old. I was I was pretty young when I started playing, and we played Melee a lot. Me and my friends, 
I played, well, I played Smash 64 with my friends before I even had a GameCube, and then I got the GameCube with, and Melee when that came out, and then played all throughout high school, um, right. playing Melee uh, into Brawl, and then into Smash 4. Um, and then at the end of high school, um, I was, I'm, I'm from Saskatchewan originally, which is a province in Canada, and I was going to be moving to British Columbia, where I live now for university. And right. so me and my friend were like, hey, like, let's go to a Smash tournament. Let's, like, let's just, you know, this is a cool, fun thing to do before we go. Um, and so we went to a tournament in Saskatchewan. And it wasn't anything huge. It was like 20 people or something. But it was but it was a lot of fun. And I ended up winning that tournament. And from there, I was like, okay, I just really want to want to compete and want to see how, how far I can take things. That's super cool. So, like, so you started really getting into the competitive scene, like, during Smash 4. Yeah, uh, it was like uh, like maybe a year into Smash 4's lifespan. I think Smash 4 came out when we were in our, our senior year of high school. And it was about the end of that year. And so I've also seen, I think you have a video on this, and I've seen it before, uh, about your tag, Locus. Um, but if you want to go into that again, I think it's super interesting. Yeah, so basically where I took the tag from is a concept in psychology called Locus of Control. And... You can have two different, well, it's not necessarily two different types of locus of control, but there's two sides of the scale. And one side is having an internal locus of control, which means that you believe that everything in your life is a result of your actions. Uh, like you're walking to work and you get hit by a car. It's like, okay, probably shouldn't have walked to work, probably should have been more careful about like how you walked, how sure. you like checked the, checked the street. And then having an external locus of control is the opposite. And it's like, things are, things are predetermined. Like it's like destiny. You can't change things. Everything is like external. So you're walking to, walking to work and you get hit by a vehicle. It's like, oh, that really sucks. You know, like there's nothing I could have done about that. Like that, right. was, that was going to happen whether I liked it or not. Um, so for me, it's just a, a reminder that at least for with smash and for like goals that I'm kind of chasing, to try and have an internal locus of control and know that I can achieve anything I've set my mind to and work hard enough at. Yeah, I, I think that's a really important mindset to have. And, you know, I'm, I'm not professional at any of the games I play, um, but I, I, I like to think I'm competitive. I, I've been to a few, you know, tournaments before, just like locals and stuff. Um, and having, adopting a positive mindset about those things can like really help you improve um, and it helps you improve faster. And like, I've, kind of learned that lesson in like smash and in league of legends and all these other like competitive games that i play and that's just helped me get better faster yeah i actually came up with the tag when i was playing uh playing league of legends i had it in my head that i was gonna i was gonna go pro in league and i never got quite good enough for that but when i adopted that tag i was like i was like hard stuck bronze five like i was like <laughs> worst of the worst i was like man i don't know how to be good at this game i was right. like I was always um, a, a person that kind of picked up on games pretty easily, but League, like, I don't know what it was about it, but I just, like, I couldn't. I was, like, Bronze 5 for, like, <laughs> a year and a half, and then I was like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna try, like, I'm gonna do this. And I, I changed my tag to Locus, and I just, like, started working really hard. I started, like, analyzing my VODs and stuff, and within that, like, one season, I, I moved up to Diamond 5. Oh, wow. Yeah, That's a massive so, improvement. Yeah, so the high, the highest I ever got was Diamond 2, and that was, like, I think, 
finally like breaking that mental barrier of like okay i can do this there's nothing preventing me from doing this everybody's just people with keyboards and in smash everybody's just people with controllers there's nothing that they're doing that i can't do yeah Um, and kind of breaking that mental barrier really really helped me improve a lot faster yeah that makes a lot of sense that's wow that's really inspiring (laughs) (laughs) thank you yeah no problem um so kind of coming off of that i do want to ask this now so we hear from people like you who say like, you know, I really had to grind for this and put in the work for it. And obviously it pays off. Um, but then we also see people like Leffen who are top at their game for whatever they're playing. Cause like Leffen's really good at, you know, Dragon Ball fighters and melee and all these other like, you know, smash games. So to you, how much do you think like skill is natural? Um, so I think, I don't think much of skill is natural. I think a lot of it is learned and developed, but I think, a lot of it comes from places that you wouldn't expect. So like for me, I, I've i always kind of like picked up on things quickly as far as like games go. But I think that's a part of that is because I've been playing games for so long. And then another part is that I've been playing piano since I was very, very young. And okay. I started competing in like piano competitions when I was also very, very young. And so I think like competing in... The piano stuff really, really helps me compete in video games as well as like learning how to practice effectively for piano and like setting like achievable goals and like that sort of stuff. Like all right. of these things come can come from other places in your life and affect how you do in or how like your skill level in everything else. So I'm sure for, for Leffen, um, because he's learned so much from so many different games, now he can pick things up and just like you know, destroy it, whatever he, whatever he right, wants yeah, to play. Yeah, yeah. But I think a lot of it is, is learned. I'm sure there is like a, a small portion of it that is just like natural talent, but I think the large majority of it is learned in one way or another. I kind of, I feel you on that because like I, whenever I'm talking to like my friends or uh, my fiance, then she, she always says, she's just like, oh, you're so much better at like video games. Or you're so much, you're so good at video games, like compared to me. And I'm like, well, it's just because I've been playing like forever. Like this is, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, it's, exactly. it's, it's my primary hobby. So like, of course I'm going to be good at it. I've been doing it for like 22 years, you know? So, uh, so for any of our, uh, aspiring, um, esports players who are listening, whenever you got into it, did you have like a lot of support in your life? And like, were your parents supportive whenever you said like, Hey, I want to go pro. Like, I, this is what I want to do for a living. So I, when I was playing, I was playing a lot of League of Legends when I was still in high school. And that sure. was when I was living living with my parents and living at home. And they didn't mind so much as long as I was getting my schoolwork done and I was practicing piano. Because at the time I was, I was taking piano lessons and competing and doing that stuff too. So okay. as long as I was getting that stuff done, they didn't mind too much. And once I started like getting up there in the ladder and I was like, you know, I was proud of it. And I was talking to them about it and they were like, I was like top like 2000 or top 3000 and they were like, Oh, that's really cool. Like, but like, are you, does that mean anything? Like, are you like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. like are you going to be on a team or anything? And like, uh, I never got quite that far. So when I moved to um, British Columbia, which is a couple provinces over and I wasn't living with them anymore, I was going to university and the same thing kind of applied. They were like, yeah, you can like, you can do whatever as long as you're, you know, you're doing well in your classes and like, and that stuff. So I'd go to classes during the day I'd practice in the evenings and then I think like three times a week I would go to like the weekly tournaments for for Smash. So there was a lot of um, balance or like it was very, very hard to balance all of that. Right. Um, It was a lot of like hard time management stuff (laughs) and they were 
they were kind of iffy on it to begin with. But once I started like winning the tournaments and like making money, they, they were a lot more supportive. And <laughs> that makes sense, yeah. <laughs> and then once I started to be like really good, like uh, my university sent me out to Vegas for an event, and then the next month they sent me out to. Oh wait, no, they sent me to LA for an event, and then the next month they sent me out to Vegas. And at the Vegas tournament, I did really really well. And being able to watch that online and like see me competing and stuff then they were they were really really interested at that point so now my mom will text me and she'll be like hey are you streaming today and i'm like (laughs) i'm like no not today sorry mom like and she's like oh man does that mean i have to watch golf (laughs) i'm like i guess so so it it took a little bit but now that they they see that i'm enjoying it a lot and that i'm able to like succeed at it and now that they kind of understand the game a little bit too from watching it, they're right. they're very very supportive of it, and I appreciate that a lot. That's super cool. Yeah, uh, I know that you know like a lot of people from older generations, they have a hard time kind of like getting their like wrapping their mind around it, um, and it's like a legitimate scene. And so like I don't know, I think that for people in our generation, it's just like oh that's super cool that you like you can do this. Um, and people a little bit older, it's just like oh but well, when are you gonna get a real job? You know. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Um, there was definitely a little bit of that to begin with, but um as they kind of were exposed to more of it and that sort of stuff, it it really became something like they enjoy now too. Like they they love watching me compete. My mom will like text me and ask for like brackets and like stream <laughs> links and I'm like like I appreciate oh, it a lot. It's it's really yeah, cool. Yeah, that's super cool. Uh I want you to explain Dr. Mario to me in Smash Ultimate uh because I've seen some of your tweets <laughs> Uh, saying that he's a broken character, and I, I saw that one clip where you killed someone at 40% off stage, and that I want to know how you manipulate that character <laughs> and just do amazing things with them I've never seen before. Um, so I don't know. I, for the first couple of months of Smash Ultimate, I didn't know who I wanted to play. I didn't know like who I enjoyed. I was just kind of like flopping around to like different characters. Right. Uh, in Smash 4, I played Ryu, and I really, really clicked with Ryu, and I liked Ryu a lot. And I liked him because I could get, like, one opening, or, like, maybe two different openings. And because he had such a great combo game, I could kill people off of, like, two openings if I was, like, really on point. Sure. And I couldn't really find anybody like that in this game until I tried Doc. And <laughs> Doc is Doc makes me feel like I'm playing Smash 4 again, and I miss that game a lot. Um I put a clip up today on my Twitter of me grabbing somebody at 17% and killing them like with a true combo. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> um, and it just, it makes me feel like I'm playing like smash four again. Like every other character seems to like get people to like, like 80 to a hundred at the very like least. Right. But with doc, I, I, he's, he's definitely a very slow character. Um, he's easy to be kind of like maneuvered around, but that was the same thing with Ryu in Smash 4. He was slow. It was hard for him to find openings. But when he did, he really he really hit hard. Right. So that's the same idea with Doc in this game. He's slower than Mario, He but a lot more powerful. And he has a lot of kill power. Uh, do you think that you're going to be taking Doc to like any majors coming up? Uh, so I'm in LA this weekend for Prime Saga. Oh, okay. Uh, which is being run by 2GG. And... I'm actually, I actually got flown out to the event because I was playing Ridley, who 
is like one of the the characters from Metroid, and it's a Metroid themed event. So they ha- they they flew out some Samus players, some Dark Samus players, some Zero Suit players, and some Ridley players. Okay. And I was one of the best Ridleys at the time, and I I think I still am. But I'm not sure how much I'm going to be actually playing Ridley compared to how much I'm going to be playing Doc. Um, I don't know. At the time, I was definitely like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Ridley main. I want to go to this event. But now over this past kind of like month or so, I've fallen really in love yeah. with playing Dr. Mario. So I'm trying to balance like, oh, sorry, it out guys. a little bit. Yeah, I'll try and play a little bit of Ridley at the very least. There's definitely still some matchups that I feel like I need Ridley for. Sure. Yeah. Um, stuff that like Dr. Mario is just like, too slow to keep up with or can kind of just like range him out like some swords sword characters right ridley is still really good for so i'll be i'll definitely be playing doc and definitely be playing ridley this weekend in uh in la yeah like i said like i feel like doc was just kind of like a sleeper character uh but like seeing you like do all these crazy things with him and of course like he's gonna have his bad matchups um but i don't know that just kind of like brought him to the forefront of my mind too just kind of like, oh, wow, you can do a bunch of, like, wacky shit with this guy. <laughs> yeah, that was kind of what happened in, in my scene, too. Like, I just started pulling him out in friendlies at tournaments and, like, that kind of stuff. Right. Not even so much playing him bracket. And people were like, oh, like, I'm getting, I'm just dying. Like, I didn't expect <laughs> to, like, die at that percent. And I was right. like, yeah, like, he, he's kind of strong. <laughs> and then um, it was really funny. Um, a couple weeks or a couple weekends ago, we had Battle of BC, which was here. It was a big tournament in British Columbia. We had some out of region people come, and yet again, I'd play play friendlies with them, and right. they'd just like they die at like really early percents, and they'd be like, "Is that like a real thing? Like, is is that <laughs> like is that real?" And all of the people from my region are like, "Okay, now you understand like what yeah. <laughs> like what, what we've been going through." Um. um and it's really interesting to do that again because that's kind of how it went with Smash Four Ryu as well, kind of a sleeper character until I pulled out some stuff with him. Yeah, of course, naturally. Uh, that's uh, seeing like you and uh, Trella and Darkshad play Ryu uh, got me into Ryu, and that's who I mained in Smash Four um, for the longest time. And then like whenever I picked him up in Smash Ultimate, I was like, oh. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a lot different. Yeah, for unfortunately. sure. Unfortunately, um, on True Combo, we have a segment called Ready Set Replay. Uh, we go back and visit old games and kind of see uh, how they've aged. Um, this episode, our Ready Set Replay is Crash Bandicoot for the PlayStation One. So, Locus, do you remember the first time that like you you played Crash? Like, what was your first experience with Crash? Yeah, so I played. So, f- first of all, I had a I had a PlayStation when I was when I was very young. Like, this was basically like when I was born. I had a, a PlayStation. Like, my dad had one, and what? like there are pictures of me like sitting in front of the PlayStation when I'm like one or like two years old with a controller and it's not actually plugged in. My dad's sitting behind me with the actual <laughs> controller um, actually playing. Right. And I think I'm playing. Like, I don't know any better. I see things on the screen moving. I'm pressing buttons. I love it. Um, but I remember having a demo disc and playing just the demo of Crash Bandicoot and playing the demo just like over and over again until eventually uh, like I bought the game. I remember just like playing through the game like over and over again. Like I, I absolutely loved the game. I, I played Crash at since you know a very young age. Also, uh, my uncle had a PlayStation One, and he lived like right next door. So uh, I would go over <clears throat> and play Crash Bandicoot, 
and uh, the helicopter game, which that's what I called it whenever I was like four years old. Uh, I have no <laughs> idea what the name of that game is now. But um, uh, I would play Crash Bandicoot, and I would rent it uh, from like the video store, uh, like on the other side of town, like every week. I would go and I, I would get my dad to take me, and so we could rent Crash Bandicoot again. And that was like the funnest game. I think that was like the first game that I really like fell in love with was Crash Bandicoot. Yeah, absolutely fantastic. Uh, I went back and played it again, and <laughs> it definitely wasn't what I remembered it. Right. As. <laughs> um, I've I've went I've since like played like some of the other Crash Bandicoot games like um, Warped for the PlayStation One, and then as well as one of the ones on GameCube. I don't remember what what that one was called, and that's kind of what I expected it to be like. Right. But I forgot just like I forgot how like playstation one the graphics were right i was gonna yeah that was like one of my talking points was that like it feels like crash and dr vortex are made of like three polygons (laughs) yeah um and i was also just surprised at how little there was for like actual controls and stuff too i remember like some of the old games like being able to slide and being able to do like higher like a high jump by like crouching you can't even crouch um there's just all this stuff that you like can't do that i like feel like i remember doing but i'm sure i'm just remembering from the other games right yeah i definitely feel you i think that like um crash bandicoot definitely suffers from like a lot of the same mistakes that early 3d platformers did um 3d was like a new technology and so the only people who could really nail it was nintendo with super mario 64 and crash bandicoot um it was great at the time for you know for what it was uh, but with, like, no analog stick, we just had the D-pad on the PlayStation 1. Yeah. And, like, game developers not really knowing how to maneuver through 3D space on a platformer, which, pre- like, requires precise jumps with just a D-pad, it's not good. <laughs> yeah. There was were also a couple of times when, like, the collision was just, like, really, really bad. Like, right. I'd jump onto, like, a platform that was moving and, like, just watch crash, like, fall straight through the platform. Exactly. And yeah. just, like, die. And I'm like, oh, okay, I guess I'll, I'll watch out for that next time. <laughs> <laughs> um, some, of, some of the good things about the game, though, that have still aged really well is the sound design is amazing. The Like, the music tracks in it are really good, but also just, like, the sounds that are in the game. Like, uh, getting the power-ups and activating the TNT... And jumping on the bombs, or like jumping on the boxes, um, it's all just like really satisfying. Yeah, no, the the game is definitely like definitely sounds very very good. It's also like a lot more difficult than I remember. Right. Yeah. And <laughs> I don't know. I don't know whether that's like a result of like the controls being like a lot different than I'm used to now, or like what it was. But I don't remember it being as difficult as it was, or as it is now. Right. Uh, there were some levels that I feel like I had to try like. 10, 15 times to get through, like, once. Exactly. Yeah, it feels like, I don't know, maybe we've been coddled by, like, the analog stick and, like... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, decent decent cam- camera controls. Um, oh, yeah, that too. Right. Uh, I feel like and the level design, the concepts for it were gorgeous. Um, just, like, uh, just the jungle scenes, um, and especially, like, in the, in the later parts of the game where, like, you get to, like, the more kind of, like, factory industrial area areas Mm -hmm. um those look really nice i mean like it's it's you know obviously it's not aged super well but like for what it was it looked great um and i think that there was like a lot of like good concepts there but they just didn't really have the technology to really execute it yeah and some of the some of the boss fights were very um very simple as well right yeah the first boss i was like 
I, I, he just like stands in a circle, or he stands in the middle of a circle and he like swings his, swings his pole around. You have to jump over it. And I was like waiting for like a cycle or like something for like him to have like an opening. Like I was like, where, like, where do I like actually hit this boss? I like tried spinning on, like spinning him and like couldn't. And then I realized like, oh, there's no cycles. You just jump on him three times. Like (laughs) there's like, yeah, there's no cycles. There's no nothing. Like it's just like a bar moving around in a circle that you have to avoid. And then besides that, it's just jumping on him. (laughs) Right. Yeah. It's, uh, it's definitely like meant to be a platformer above anything else. And the bosses are not too difficult. Um, yeah. So final verdict, uh, Logos, would you recommend this game now? I I wouldn't recommend this Crash Bandicoot, but I definitely recommend Crash Bandicoot Warped. I think Warped did a lot with the like formula that they kind of set out with in this game. They like sure. really kind of perfected it there. Um, and I think a lot of the nostalgia I feel like I have for Crash Bandicoot is like mixed in with Crash Bandicoot Warped. Because I remember playing that early on the PlayStation as well. And a lot of the things I'm remembering, I think I'm actually remembering from Warped. So maybe not the original Crash Bandicoot, except for just to like experience it. But Warped, definitely. Yeah, I feel like if you want to go with like a more classic take on the franchise, then uh, you should go with Warped or at least... Uh, at least Crash Bandicoot 2. Uh, that was the one that yeah. I spent the most time with. I think that um, that one kind of refined their formula a little bit more um but if you're looking to get into it uh just to play crash bandicoot then i would say to get the insane trilogy the remakes that came out um oh right oh those are so good right yeah and um they they really captured like the original like spirit and the essence of of those games without um all of the shitty playstation one things (laughs) yeah and they and they really like the art is so gorgeous like remastered too yeah well Mason, I think that's going to do it for us. Um, thanks so much for coming on our show. It's It's been great having you. Hey, no problem. I appreciate it a lot. Yeah. Uh, is there anything that you want to plug? Um, I'll just plug my... I'm, I'm at LocusSK on all of my socials. Um, and then I'll just... I'll plug my sponsor as well. There's a gaming stadium that opened up in Richmond, um, British Columbia. And they've been helping me get to events and helping me with like my stream and like everything. And they've been treating me like really, really well. So you can follow them at, at @gamingstadiumcs on Twitter. We're also having a really big tournament in or at the start of July called Pinnacle 2019. And Pinnacle is going to have it's going to have Smash Ultimate as like kind of like the main event, but they're going to have Melee and Street Fighter and Dragon Ball Fighters, like they're having they're having like everything. It's going to feel like a little bit of a mini Evo. And there's $20,000 prize pool for that split between all the games. Um, and it's going to be a really, really sick event. Well, I appreciate it. Uh, Mason, it's been great. Thanks so much for coming on. And I'll talk to you soon. All right. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. True Combo releases bi-weekly every other Friday. The next episode will be releasing on May 3rd. Joining me next episode will be Tommy Calhoun, co-host of Versus Extreme. Our Ready, Set, Replay will be World of Warcraft, and we will be discussing the effect of nostalgia in video games. If you like this episode, tell a friend. And don't forget to rate us on iTunes, follow us on Spotify, and on Twitter, at TrueCombocast. True Combo is produced by Dryerstock Productions. Check out our other shows, Versus Extreme and Story Sodic, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I want to give a special thanks to Jess Adams for designing the cover art for True Combo, and to MK Ultra for allowing us the use of our theme song, Tears in the Rain. I'm Marcus Driscoll. Thank you for listening. See you later, skater.
Brought to you by Dryer Sock Productions. Pop that pizza pie in the oven, baby. We're about to start a podcast.